This is Tom with the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast, and we've got another special episode. We've got a question from a full-time real estate photographer listener. His name is Michael Hirakami. Michael, I apologize if I mispronounced your name. Michael emailed me. He, he had a question. He actually had three questions, and I'll just open up with his questions, actually his, his email here. Michael says, hello, I was listening to your podcast and got this email address. Would this be a good place to ask someone questions about real estate photography? If not, would you know any other source I could be directed to? So actually, now that I reread that, there could potentially be a fourth question in here. But he goes on to say, I am currently pursuing a career as a real estate photographer. I don't have any professional experience yet. However, I'm planning to get started in May. And he lists three questions. One, I have a Sony A5100 mirrorless camera. Would you know anyone who's ever worked with this particular camera for their real estate photography job? Unlike A6000s, this doesn't seem to have the ability to connect with speed lights. Would you recommend I not use this camera? Question two, he continues. If I want to start my own business, is it better to officially launch my company before purchasing any equipment, such as upgrading to a new camera for the real estate photography job, because it may help deduct taxes at the end of the year? His final question on this list. Do you have any advice on how to get started with my business? Where should I begin? Michael, thank you so much for the question. And we actually did some email correspondence back and forth. So you already know these answers. But I wanted to share this with the listeners of the podcast. We might have some other people who have similar questions. So I really appreciate the email. So first off, yes, if you've got any questions, the email address that I share, I'll share it again at the end of this episode and and usually in the show notes. Uh, That's a great place to start if you wanted to reach out to me directly. And I guess to address the other unlisted question here, but Michael also asked if I knew about any other sources that you could go and look. And I think he was only asking that just to make sure he had the right email address. But YouTube, Google checking out books online, like ordering books from Amazon, or maybe even you could find some at a local bookstore. There's a lot of resources that you can go to. I mean, you can study photography in general and, you know, kind of take specific lessons from there. Or you could find real estate photographers who are running other podcasts, other YouTube channels. Yeah, there's a lot of information out there. And, you know, with a little bit of searching, you can find plenty. If you have no experience whatsoever with photography, you'll probably want to start and just learning just generally what kind of cameras are out there, what kind of lenses you can use, what kind of lights you can use, like just the basics. If you really want to get down to the basics, spend a lot of time watching and learning from like camera reviews, camera comparisons and shootout videos. Not real estate photography specifically, but there'll be people specifically on YouTube is a place that I like to go all the time uh, just to watch people take last year's model and this year's model or two competing models of cameras and kind of compare them and contrast them and do their little photography experiments as, as scientifically or unscientifically as they may be. It, it's really helpful to familiarize yourself with the technology 
without actually having to spend tens of thousands of dollars to personally put your hands on the gear. So yeah, there's there's a lot of places that you can go to to just learn general knowledge. And then there are a few really reliable sources that you can go to, including what I'm sharing here on YouTube. You can go and find, I, th- I think there's one or two other real estate-specific real estate photography podcasts. And then there's other just general photography podcasts. And then, you know, there's, there's also paid courses and paid coaching. Like there's, there's a lot of resources out there for you. And I just wanted to let you know. So I'm glad that you chose to reach out to me. I'm going to answer these questions as best I can. But, you know, also bear in mind, like you want to broaden your horizons as much as possible. So learning from one source is, is a good place to start, but you, you want to try and study as much as you can from as many different possible sources as you can. Okay, your question numbered one in the email, but there was already two questions earlier on. So first off, I've got a Sony A5100 camera. Do I know anyone else that's worked with this particular camera? Um, no, I don't. You also said it it doesn't seem to have the ability to connect with speed lights. Well, I actually looked up the A5100 and I read very little on it. I I don't know everything about the camera, but I do know that it has a built-in flash. So you could actually use that with speed lights or, you know, other off-camera flashes if they have a what's called a slave function. Many speed lights or many strobe lights have a little light sensor built into them, and you can put it into the into slave mode. Some will have like slave mode one, slave mode two, and you can trigger the flash with your on-camera flash. So some people, if you've never done that before, you might be thinking like, well, would that cause some weird problems? And it can, but not the ones that you might think. So light traveling at the speed of light, you know, the fastest thing in the universe, or at least one of, depending who you talk to. But you take a photo with your ambient exposures, if you're going to do blend, uh, you know, ambient and flash blending, and then you pop out your flash, you turn your on-camera flash, you pop it up, your off-camera flash, you set it manually, and then you put it, make sure it's on slave mode. And as long as your off-camera flash, wherever it is, if the light sensor can see the flash from your camera, it will be triggered. And I found this to be really reliable and consistent at short distances. And sometimes it was kind of touch and go if you wanted to put a light like in the distance around a corner. Uh, but it, it is a, a workable solution. And you probably find that in the long run, it is not going to be reliable or just the ease of use. It, it's just going to be inconvenient. <laughs> and you'll probably want to go towards using the, the radio triggers, the radio transmitters, like using a manual, like a trigger button in your pocket or in your hand, and then having that trigger the flash and the camera, or uh, putting a transmitter on your camera on a hot shoe mount, the A5100 doesn't have that. So down the road, you're, you're probably going to want another camera. But with the one that you have, there is a way to make it work with flash. Do not try to light a photo with the on-camera flash. Like, don't even try that. It will look absolutely horrible. 
I mean, maybe you could do some weird thing in editing and make it look okay, but the light is just not going to be strong enough for most applications, and the shadows are going to be kind of... Mm, I guess they'll be a little unnatural, let's say. You want to bounce flash into the ceiling. You want a powerful enough flash unit that's going to be able to fill the room with light. And then you want to bounce it in the ceiling, preferably in the ceiling above an area where there already is a natural source of light, like in the ceiling above a window, if you can, or a large door entryway, if you can. And that'll give you the most natural appearance in terms of shadows. But at the end of the day, the most important thing with your flash layer is to have a proper rendering of colors and color saturation in the room, you know, so you're not being overpowered by like the bluer, the more blue color balance coming into the window and the more amber color balance coming in through the interior light fixture. So you know, that there is a way to use flash with the A5100. Not going to be the best or the ultimate way of doing it, but it's possible. It's workable. Would I recommend that you not use the camera? I would suggest that you try to use the camera as best you can and practice. So something that I suggest, especially to newer real estate photographers, is you want to build a portfolio of images. Not you know, hundreds and hundreds, but I, I talk about this in an earlier episode on portfolios. While you're doing that, while you're practicing, you will really get a feel for, is this something that I'm comfortable doing or not? I would say like, if you can use the camera to get you decent results that you can use to get more business, do that first, make money, and then go spending it. If you don't have to, there's no reason to spend all your savings or put yourself in debt just to get some gear that will be, you know, slightly easier to use. I would rather keep money in my pocket and deal with something that's kind of slightly inconvenient until I know that I can afford to get the next thing. Now, if you start practicing with this camera and you start doing your photo shoots and you realize that you just can't do the job with that camera. It's just not working for whatever reason. Maybe triggering a flash in slave mode with, with the on-camera flash, maybe it's just too unreliable. You're finding that it, it just is not working. That's when you're going to want to look at, you know, seriously trying to do an upgrade. And I also have uh, not like a full gear buying guide, but I talk about like your gear cycle of life. And I talk about purchasing equipment, getting a good deal in previous episodes. So I'd refer you back to them on getting a good deal because, you know, when you're in business, you, you want to try and run a profitable business as you can. So if you can get a really good price on gear, go ahead and do it. Don't get sucked into this idea like, I've got to spend $20,000 worth of, I got to get $20,000 worth of equipment in order to be able to do a halfway decent job. And then, you know, that either is so cost prohibitive, it puts you out of business, or you put yourself into so much debt that you've got to work yourself like a dog just to make a dollar, at, well, a dollar or whatever equivalent unit of a dollar is in, in your local currency. I, I don't think you, I don't remember if you said you were living in the US or not, but there's a way to upgrade without breaking the, the bank. And you shouldn't, that shouldn't be your first step. You should really try and get the most out of what you have and then go on to upgrade things. Okay, question number two. 
I want to start my own business. Is it better to officially launch my company before purchasing any equipment, such as upgrading to a new camera? Yeah, so I, I just talked about this a, a little bit. Sorry, but I, you know, question one bled into question two. Uh, yeah, I, start your business. Try and make money before you go out spending it because you're going to be able to stay in business longer. You're going to be able to take more risks or put yourself out there more. Or at the very least, you'll be able to, you know, have more food, have more opportunities for, I don't know, if you have, you know, friends or family you like to spend some time with when you're not working, you could, you know, go out and do something with them and you don't have to worry like, oh my God, how am I going to pay for anything? How am I going to pay my bills? If you, I mean, I don't know what your financial situation is right now, but maybe things are like that already, in which case you really should go out and try to start make some money. I mean, you know, something that you're really gonna gonna need. I, I know that the A5100 is a interchangeable lens camera, so you're gonna really want to get a wide angle lens. If you don't, there is a way to get like a fake wide angle shot by making a bunch of panoramas, and that's actually miserable. <laughs> that is just doing panoramas is the worst. And I know because that's one of the things that I thought I could do. I was building up a portfolio and for a few photo shoots, just about every single shot, not a, and not everyone, because there are some cases where you would actually want to, you know, crop in or zoom in a little bit. But I used to do a lot of panoramas and oh my God, that adds so much time in post-production. It is just miserable. But there's a way to do it if you don't have a wide-angle lens. Maybe for building up that portfolio, you would want to do some more panoramas and, and save some money and then, you know, do a few page shoots and just go through the heartache of basically doubling your editing time. And then you have problems with parallax if you don't have like a really good panoramic tripod head, something that swivels on like the dead center of your sensor. So, you know, what happens is if you take a photo looking to the left and you take another one slightly off to the right and you combine them, Sometimes things don't quite perfectly line up due to the parallax effect, especially things that are closer to the camera. So that can be nightmarish. It gives you a lot of time to practice in Photoshop, though. So I guess, you know, take the good with the bad there. But yeah, I, I really, I would suggest try and practice, use the gear. And if you hit that point where you're, you just can't even get the results that you're looking for with what you currently have, then you should upgrade, but you should only upgrade the thing that you really need for the A5100. Maybe you can get away with using what you have, but maybe your next purchase is going to be a high quality wide angle lens so you can get those wide shots that real estate agents really like. Might not be best for, you know, high end architectural photography, but um, your run of the mill real estate agent, they're going to appreciate those tighter shots, those nice detail, architectural style uh, shots, but they also want to be able to see the whole room. In fact, some of them want every shot to be as wide as possible to make the house feel a bit bigger. Whether that's right, whether that's the best way to show it, I don't know, but uh, that's what my clients ask for, so that's what they get. The second part of your second question you're asking about making expenses, buying equipment, and using it as a tax deduction. 
So all of your business expenses are going to be tax deductions. So I, I, I live in the United States. I can really only speak to you know, taxes when it comes to, to the U.S. I'm, I'm sure other countries around the world have their citizens paying taxes. I just don't know the particulars of those laws. So when it comes to running your real estate photography business in America, everything can be a business expense. So my phone bill, because I'm calling and texting and talking to clients, my internet service at my office, my car, my, well, because it's 100%. I only use that car for, because I have other cars at home. I only use one car for my photography business. That's 100% tax deductible, including all my gas expenses, meals on the road, and then, of course, the equipment as well. So, you know, while you're working in business, thinking I'm going to buy a $6,000 camera and lens so I can write it off taxes, well, it's not going to help you that much if you don't have income to write, to deduct that expense from. So if you made $10,000, but you have $15,000 worth of write-offs, you can amortize those over a few years as business expenses. But I mean, you want to focus on making the fifteen, twenty, fifty thousand dollars first before you start thinking, well, I could write this off my taxes. Because, you know, the tax deduction is really helpful and that's important. So accounting and finances is really important in business, and it's important to also make intelligent financial decisions. However, important financial decisions need to happen because you have made money. So focus on making the money first. If you were to go out and buy a bunch of gear today, even though you're not officially in business, I know because after talking to my accountant, he, he called those startup expenses. I forget if there was a specific tax law about that or, or, or what, but generally spending money on, on business equipment is tax deductible, even if it's officially before the business is started because they count as startup expenses. But if you buy a bunch of stuff as a startup expense, but then your business never actually starts, you lose the deduction because it becomes a personal expense. So, so you do have to make sure that ball is rolling and your business does officially start. Talk to a local tax professional to really get those details. So this is my experience and me talking to my accountant when it comes to taxes. I'm not a CPA. I'm not a certified public accountant. I'm not like licensed or anything to give people tax advice. And I'm sure that I know that state tax law is different from state to state. Federal should be consistent, I hope, across America. But uh, if you live in another country, uh, you, you want to figure out exactly what those tax deductions are. They might be similar. They might be different. That'll be up to you to find out. Okay, number three, do you have any advice on how to get started with my business? Where should I begin? You've already begun. So you're thinking about what you want to do. You are trying to get some information. You're learning. Uh, you're listening to this podcast, which I hope has been helpful for you. And like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, books, if you hate to read, audiobooks. Personally, I, I, have, I like to do both. YouTube videos just randomly Google searching things online, just doing the due diligence, trying to learn as much as you can is the place to begin. So I'm, I'm going to refer you guys to some specific things right now. So, and these are not like paid promotions. I don't have any professional relationships or, or referral agreements or anything with these, 
with these people. I just want to let everybody know. These are just places that I personally go to and I find them helpful. So if you're looking for like blogs or online articles, I really like going to uh, fstoppers.com. The fstoppers team, it's a few guys down in, in the Carolinas, but they actually recently moved to Puerto Rico, which is an interesting YouTube series they did. And uh, they cover a lot of general photography gear and photography tips and tricks. Like they have a lot of really interest, interesting articles to help you learn about equipment and photography in general. F-Stoppers also has paid online courses, some of them of which I have bought and paid for. And like I said, this is not a sponsored post or anything, but I just wanted to share because I really think they've done an incredible job. Uh, they have some paid courses. Uh, what's the name? It's called Where Art Meets Architecture, I think, is the, the one with Mike Kelly. And that's just about architectural photography. It's a great resource. You get to watch a fabulous architectural photographer go through everything from start to finish. It's super helpful. It's expensive as far as uh, paid courses go, but you for sure get your money's worth. So that's that. On YouTube, YouTube, I really like to check out Rich Bomb's videos and Nathan Cool's videos and, you know, occasionally some some other people will will do like real estate specific but Rich Baum and Nathan Cool for real estate photography, they do some great tutorials, some how-tos, everything from compositions, lighting, to editing, and just like little tips and tricks and gear reviews, just, just really helpful. There are also, like if you're looking for a general, unspecific, not unspecific, let's say, yeah, your general kind of overarching just photography, categorically, there are some really great uh, YouTube channels on there. One of my favorites is uh, the Tony and Chelsea Northrop or Northrop Photography. I, f- I forget the name of the channel too. You know, like I said, not sponsored or anything. Uh, I know they're sponsored by, they're sponsored by, they do a lot of like Squarespace sponsorships. They just have really good information there. They also do weekly photo competitions and stuff. I don't, I can't remember off the top of my head if the Northrops do real estate specific I'd have to go through and, and look, but I know that their general photography, like gear reviews, just, and they also do these pod, they have their own podcast, actually. They do like episodes on the history of camera companies. It's really interesting. Yeah, those are great places to go on YouTube. As far as printed books go, I have a photography book. It's full-time real estate photographer, or you could search my name. Nathan Cool has some books. I don't know if Rich Baum does, but probably the Bible of, and if you're if you're religious and you don't like Bible references, I apologize. How about how about the textbook of photography in general would be John Harrington's Best Business Practices for Real Estate Photographers. I would not be able to remember that off the top of my head if I didn't have the book sitting on the shelf right in front of me. Great resource. Very heavy book. It's, it's like a college textbook. It's a big book and it covers everything. It is just great. And there are, I hear, some photography college level courses that use his book as a textbook. It's just great. And uh, John Harrington, I think he, it seems that when, as you read through the book, he focuses mostly on portraiture, but still just great practices for any photographer. 
yeah, those are some great places I could I can point you to right now. So there's also another app or website. It's called Create Live or Create Live or something like that. Pretty low cost as far as little online courses go. But Mike Kelly has a few courses there. And like I said before, Mike Kelly does an absolutely incredible job. His game is just architectural photography. So, you know, my photos you're going to see on like Zillow and Realtor.com. His photos you're going to see in Architectural Digest and on like high-end builders and architects' websites and, and advertising and things like that. He just does a really great job. So, Michael, I, I kind of ran through those pretty quickly. I'm going to just quickly take another look. I want to make sure I touched on everything. So for question one for the A5100, you can use your flash on-camera tra- flash to, fl- to trigger an off-camera flash. I'd really try and get as much as you can out of it, really. You know, something I didn't even email you about was uh, you could start just trying to do ambient exposures. If you're really limited on funds, maybe invest in a really good tripod and a geared tripod head so you can just start working with long exposures because that's why we're doing ambient plus flash. Your ambient exposure is going to be a longer exposure to get even lighting throughout the interior, but usually what happens is that light fixtures and windows are totally blown out. And in some cases, you might actually appreciate that look. So go ahead and try doing some ambient exposures. Do not, please don't do HDR. Unless you really put the time in and work in a reliable and consistent process for like pre-editing your HDR images and then letting your software merge them, it just comes out looking, looking weird. You can do multiple ambient exposures and edit them in, like manually mask them in for different different things, like take an exposure for the window, take an exposure for the room that you're in, and then maybe one or two more uh, that might be longer or shorter for, you know, farther rooms and, and edit them all. But you'd have this problem with color casts. You'd have to go in and manually adjust colors and then manually blend them all in together. It's doable to do it all ambient and get a really good look, but it's labor intensive. So one of the reasons why we use flash to get, you know, clean colors and to get like really even lighting across the whole room. So you just bleach out all the weird yellows or blues or whatever. You could fix those things manually. You're just going to have to spend a lot more time in Lightroom and in Photoshop and then back in Lightroom again. So, and I know it's doable because, you know, like the first year or so, I didn't believe that I needed like to have that many battery backups. So I'd like be on a shoot and I'd run out of batteries. So, (laughs) so, you know, half the photo shoot would be with flash. And then the other half of, you know, the, like the last photo shoot of the day, I'd have like 10 interiors that no flash, but I'd just take five or six ambience. And it's doable. It's just going to take you forever. We want to use the flash because it's going to save you a lot of time. You're going to keep your profit margins up in your business by being able to do more in less time. And the flash is one of the ways of doing that. So I'd really try and get your money's worth out of that A5100 first. And then moving on over time, as you get better with it and if you're getting ready to buy a flash, I would recommend 
the uh, AD200. So um, Godox makes the AD200 and then Flashpoint, I think, and, and maybe a couple others. It's that 200 watt second flash. It looks like a speed light that just can't bend. There's no hinge. And whatever brand name it is, it's all the same thing, basically. You want to make sure you get a trigger for it. And on the A5100, the Godox, the AD200 does have a slave mode. It has a little uh, light sensor thingy on it. So uh, you'd be using that until you got a camera with a hot shoe mount. Yeah, it's just a great light. Just a great, handy, all-around light. I will be eventually buying, you know, a bigger one. But right now, like, all I'm carrying is the AD200. One AD200. And I'm doing everything from teeny tiny condos to multi-million dollar listings. And I'm just doing the AD200. Okay. Now, number two, living in the USA. Yeah, we talked about business expenses and tax purposes. Really, you want to internalize this idea of making the best of what you have and making an upgrade when you really need to. So a lot of people like to say, well, I, you know, I don't need this thing, but it will just be so much easier or so much nicer, or I'll look more professional, whatever the case may be. Now, I mean, if you're carrying your gear around in a garbage bag, a trash bag, and it's all held together with duct tape and it's falling apart, yeah, that's that's going a bit too far. But I mean, if you have good equipment that works just fine and, you know, maybe it's slightly inconvenient to use, but you can work around it reasonably, I would not say that that's time to upgrade. You want to upgrade when you need to. When you hit a point where you're like, okay, I could get more business, I could do a better job, but I can't because I need this or because the thing that I have here is just not up to the standards that I need. So you can use older equipment. You can use, like I said, you can get away with triggering your flash with your on-camera built-in little tiny flash at first. And like I said, when you get into longer spaces or if you want to like go around the corner and flash uh, into a second or third room, that's going to be difficult in some cases, in some cases impossible. You'll figure that out when you're practicing and building your portfolio. You know, you, you shouldn't be buying another thing until you know that you need it. And not having used the A5100, I can't say whether you could do a good job with it or not. That's going to be up to you and up to your prospective clients. If you find that the image quality is just not there and for whatever reason it's just not working for you, then, then you can go ahead and make your upgrade. But you're going to find all that out when you are practicing and building your portfolio. So I'm just going to read through the, I'm quickly skimming through the email chain here. It looks like I just covered everything plus a few extras that you and I were talking about. Uh, Michael and I had a, a short email thread, but Michael also asked about a drone. He's got his license to be a commercial drone pilot. Congratulations on that, Michael. He asked later on in the thread if I know how to find realtors who are looking for drone photography. And he said, quote, I would assume that unless it's a big property with huge land space, people probably wouldn't hire drone photographers. Do you think that compared to real estate photography with DSLRs, or in this case, DSLMs, maybe there are less opportunities? End quote. And specifically about drone, I find that Many of my clients 
want to use them. Like m- most of them have used drone at one point. I have a few that use drone always for every listing, no matter what. Well, except for cases where it would be illegal to fly the drone. It's a matter of adding it to your portfolio, adding it to your price list. If you have a list of prices or your website, however you're sharing it with people, you just want to show them, hey, look, these are some drone photos that I've taken. Isn't that wonderful? It makes your house look great. And then uh, saying, you know, I can add this to a photo shoot for X dollars. You know, not all of them are going to want to do it, but many will. So adding drone is a great way to uh, add a few more dollars to your bottom line. There is another technique where you could offer drone to everyone across the board. Anyone who books a photo shoot with you gets drone photos. However, you'd raise your prices and just built in the drone photography into your invoice. So if you're charging, you know... $200 $200 for your photo shoot, you could tell everyone, hey, it's going to be 350 but it includes drone for all of your exteriors or most of your exteriors, whatever, and not give them a choice. Uh, for, for me personally, I, I like to give people a choice. I have a bunch of, like I have like core packages and then you can choose a bunch of add-ons and I find that works well for me. You might also find that works for you. You might just say, you know what, across the board, this is the price, and you get drone if we can fly it legally. So yeah, that, that's great. Uh, you said you had the Mavic Air, and I'm pretty sure the Mavic Air is going to do a plenty good job for real estate photography. I don't own a Mavic Air. My drone pilot uses a um, Phantom 4 Pro, and that seems to be doing a great job, but I do hear some really good things about the Mavic Air, especially the image quality. And I mean, if you're shooting in RAW, if everything's in focus, if you have a good exposure and, you know, the dynamic range is decent, you can get great results out of it. You don't need the best of the best in terms of camera technology, as long as you have um, a really reliable and consistent way of editing them. And for that, you know, you could use automations uh, like presets and Photoshop actions uh, to do certain things for you to get that look consistently. So yeah, drone is a great add-on. It's not just limited to high-end, huge properties. Yeah, pretty much all the like luxury listings, you know, million-dollar, multi-million-dollar listings, they are using drone pretty much every single time. But I have a client that lists just regular listings, you know, nothing really, really special about them. I mean, they're good houses, they're good listings, but nothing that stands out. And if you were to look at it, you you wouldn't say, oh man, you've got to do drone for that one. <laughs> you know, it's just your standard listing. And um, she has drone for every single one of them. Because for this listing agent, that's her brand. That's one of the things when she sits down and does a presentation and says, hey, I'd like for you to hire me to list and sell your house, and you should do it because here's one of the things that I do. I order drone photos for everything, and just look how great it turns out. That's I'm paraphrasing. That's not her presentation. But uh, yeah, some people just like to use it all the time, so it's a great add-on. Like, it really is. Just add it to your portfolio, add it as an add-on price, or you know, incorporate it into the normal photo shoot you won't be disappointed. And the Mavic Air will probably fit in your camera bag now. So it's not like it's going to 
add a ton of bulk and weight to what you're already going to be carrying around. Michael, I want to thank you again for the questions. I enjoyed our little email thread going back and forth. I hope you get to listen to this episode. I I know I brought up a couple extra things in here that I didn't mention in the email, so I hope that that is also helpful to you. And for everybody else, I hope that this either helped create and then answer some questions that maybe you didn't have already, or maybe these were things you were thinking about. I find that sharing this kind of information can help, especially if if you're missing a frame of reference for some of these things, just hearing other people's questions can help kind of can help us kind of formulate our own ideas and maybe our own questions. So anyone who's interested in submitting a question, please do. You could email me directly, just like Michael did. He emailed me at tom at ftrephoto.com. You could also find me on Instagram at Tom Vargeletis, T-O-M-V-A-R-G-E-L-E-T-I-S. And you're welcome to go out on the wide web and search for those other things that I've mentioned. Uh, I found those resources to be helpful to me. I think they're going to be helpful to you as well. And that's the episode, everyone. So I hope everything was helpful. I look forward to hearing your questions and potentially bringing them up on the podcast for other future episodes. And uh, without further ado, I'll catch you guys in the next one.